Imagine that you were living in a house that had been added onto like five times or altered to where it looks kind of hodgepodge or patchwork. And at some point, wires started getting crossed. So you turn the light swatch switch on in the living room and the garbage disposal goes off. And then one day you're cleaning out the garage and you find the blueprints and you realize, man, there's a couple of really simple things where we got off base. And man, now I can see there, if, if we would have just stuck to this, the whole structure would have been so much more simple, so much more effective, so much more enjoyable. And what I want us to look at today is the blueprints of the church in Acts chapter two. Y'all can go ahead and turn there. And sadly, I think that the church as a whole has added on and altered quite a bit since here. And so this is gonna be a great opportunity for us to realign with the OG church, with the OG followers of Jesus and what that looked like, the simple few things that they focused on. And the context here leading into Acts chapter two is you've got these followers of Jesus who just as they were starting to wrap their brain around what Jesus was saying, then he died and they were bewildered. And then he rose and came and visited them and talked with them and connected some dots for them again about the kingdom of God and how the Messiah was to suffer and rise. And then right when they were starting to get used to that, then he said, okay, now I have to leave again. And he said, but don't worry because this is actually better for you that I go away because I'm gonna send you a helper. And he gives them a mission and a job because he says, I'm going up. You guys are gonna continue the work here on planet earth, but don't try to do it without the power that I'm about to send you. And he said, wait. And the power that he sent, this is what it looked like in Acts chapter two. And this is the birth story of the church. Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, there were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And first of all, this is the day of Pentecost, which like Pentagon 5, Pentecost, this literally means 50. This is 50 days after the Passover. Here you have people coming from everywhere gathered to worship God. And he's about to multiply their languages and send them out. And what's beautiful about this is what we have is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Because a long time ago, there was humans grouped up all in one place and built an edifice, essentially a giant middle phalange to the Lord saying, we don't need you. And when he said spread out, he said, no, we're gonna clump up and not spread out. So in judgment, he confused their language and sent them out. And here you have people gathered, not in rebellion, but in worship 
and he gives his spirit, not in judgment, but to empower the mission that he's giving them. And notice what it says in verse two, a sound, there was a noise like a mighty rushing wind. It's not specifically that the wind filled the house, but this sound, and it's not specifically that fire came on them, but but like tongues of fire, they spread out. So it's this picture of some sort of supernatural manifestation of the presence of God making a lot of noise coming in the room and then splitting to distribute to all of them. And the mention of wind and fire sounds very familiar because I'm reminded of what we see over and over again, sort of, I think of sort of a fiery tornado that the Lord seems to, when you take wind and cloud and fire, you see God appearing to his people over and over again. To Moses, he showed up in fire and then on the top of this mountain and he says, I'm gonna pass by and just like Elijah, I'm gonna hide you in this rock and the fire and the wind, the God was not in the wind, he was not in the fire and then he heard his voice and then with Elijah also, this fiery tornado came down and took him up and you've got in the wilderness this fiery tornado leading them and coming down to settle on the, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And so what I see there is the same thing I see here, which is the thinly veiled presence of God himself coming down to be with his people, to interact with his people. And here God comes down and there's something a little bit different here because it's not isolated to a point. It spreads out like, I don't know, like fire. And what is he doing here? What is the power that he sends? What is it for? Look at verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pay attention as you read through the book of Acts. You see real clearly what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. It's not primarily something for me to enjoy as a sensation. It's a power to speak. It's a power for bold proclamation. And it's no different here. The Spirit fills them and they began to speak. And they spoke in other tongues. Now, there, I, I would love to have a coffee and a taco and talk more about the gift of tongues. And there's a lot. I don't think it's as simple, a simple open and shut case. But I do know that here, it's clearly intelligible languages because of what follows. You've got people from all different languages. Look in verse five. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. That's a discernible language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, 
Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and a whole other list of ites. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages, our own tongues, the mighty works of God. So here the gift that God gave them was the power to speak and you have him giving them the power to do what he's asked them to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And he's signifying in my spirit is everything you need to obey the work I've given you. And don't even think about trying to do it without it without the power that he provides. And so look at verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And this is, this is a good response, a good initial response. What does this mean? To see a supernatural occurrence? To see something that rocks the boat? And ask, Lord, what are you doing? Instead of instantly looking for a natural explanation to explain away a supernatural occurrence. Did you see? They provided a natural explanation. Uh, They mocked. So some were saying, what does this mean? That was good. Others were a little more closed-minded and they they mocked them and said, they are filled with new wine. They're talking... We're hearing the gibberish because they're drunk. And verse 14, Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and he addressed them and he said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which I think is funny. Uh, because I wish you, kind of wish you would have said, If you knew the character of these men, you would never say such a thing. You just say, you're a little too early. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But I feel like that's almost sort of the funny response. And then he gets to his serious response. This is the real reason why you shouldn't call this drunkenness because this is a supernatural occurrence that God already told you is gonna happen. We shouldn't be surprised by this. It's what he said in verse 16. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit. And he goes on. And your your Bible has an indention or a quote or something where you see that's a quote from the Old Testament, from the prophet Joel. And he's connecting the dots for them. And saying, look guys, you should have known. If you know your Bible, if you know your Old Testament, you should have known this was going to happen. Joel said, he's going to pour out his spirit on the day of the Lord. And they could have said, yeah, but the day of the Lord is like way later, right? And Peter's point is Jesus is a partial fulfillment of the day of the Lord right now. And then he goes on, you'll see another indention. 
he quotes David from the Psalm, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, where he's talking about resurrection. And then he says, guys, you know David isn't talking about himself, right? That, that he would be resurrected because I can show you his grave right now. He's still in there. We know he was buried and in his tomb, he was talking prophetically about the one to come through his line, the Messiah, who's gonna die and be raised. So he's saying, look, this Messiah that you're waiting for, he's supposed to suffer and die and be raised. David told us about him. And so by your actions, Israelites, of this guy who's making some claims that's at least hinting strongly at him being the Messiah, and then you crucify him, and you're contributing to Jesus fulfilling this prophecy. And God raised him from the dead. This Jesus whom you crucified, he's the one that we've been waiting for for so long, and you've missed it. Joel told us that when he comes, he's gonna pour out his spirit. And this is the guy. And you crucified him. Look at verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And I just skipped over a lot, but notice what Peter did here. He's expertly wielding the Old Testament history and prophecy, teaching it in such a way that there is no mistaking. It's all pointing to Jesus as Messiah. And if it doesn't point to Jesus as Messiah, then you need to rethink what Messiah means for you. And this is how he preaches. This is how he teaches. The apostle Peter, look from the Old Testament and see how it's pointing to Jesus as Messiah the Messiah who would suffer and be rejected and crucified and raised. And now this message demands repentance from them. And how will they respond? Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Praise the Lord. They heard the proclamation of Jesus through the scriptures. He is the Messiah. He is Lord and Christ. And they received it. They had humble hearts. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. That's the two things. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
this spirit that you just saw poured out, if you will believe and surrender to Jesus as Lord and Christ, the spirit will be given to you. You will be, as he said, baptized into the spirit. When John said, there's one coming who's gonna baptize you not in water, but in the spirit. You're gonna be immersed in, submerged in the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. He said, if you repent of believing in self and believe in him as Messiah and get baptized as an external expression of that, you will be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse six. I'm sorry, verse 41. Wow. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And notice at first it says repent and be baptized. Here it says received and be baptized. It's talking about the same thing. When they receive, it's because they've repented of a hard heart of not acknowledging Christ as Messiah, as their Lord. And they repent and they do, in fact, receive him by faith. And then because we can't see the heart, only God can, baptism is an external proclamation of the change that has occurred inside. And it's a proclaiming of both the death and resurrection of Christ and the death and resurrection of everyone who believes and is found in him, buried with him, raised with him. Verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Instant megachurch, just like that. So what exactly happened here? God himself poured out his spirit. And, and why did he do that? Was he giving them sort of this memo of altered operating procedures? No, this was, this was an announcement of a death and resurrection. The death of the old covenant. The fulfillment and death of the old covenant. And the initiation of the new. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. This is the death of the old covenant. The death of us approaching the Lord on our effort and being righteous of what we could produce to receiving a righteousness that is by faith alone. And Jeremiah 31, 31 says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts 
and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is the death and fulfillment of the old and the initiation of the new. It's a major (laughs) shift. It's a whole new way of doing business. And specifically what happens in terms of the spirit of God in this change from old to new is now the spirit goes from descending on some to descending on all believers. And from temporary empowerment to permanent indwelling. And from external empowerment to an internal indwelling. And from law to grace, from religion to relationship. And we see through the whole Old Testament, the uh, maddening frustration of one man or woman after another stepping up to the plate and showing great promise and then failing and striking out miserably. And we keep thinking there's got to be a better way. We need a better man. We need a better king. And then Jesus comes and he pours out his spirit being the person and the means through which he indwells us and builds his church through us. This new covenant, it's not just creating a new, when we think church, a lot of times we can think organizationally. And this isn't a new organization. This is a new organism. And there's a reason why he uses this metaphor of body, the head and the body. Jesus Christ is our head and we are his body together. A living, breathing body, a church. And that's why when we look at Acts chapter two, it reads like a birth story. And just whenever, like whenever a baby is born, you're on pins and needles waiting to see that baby take its first breath. And here, the first breath of the church is the spirit of God blowing through it. And the church comes to life with Christ by his spirit living and moving through us. And so what we have, the last part of Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, is functionally a manifesto of this is how we work now. If we wanna know how the church is supposed to work, let's go back to the very beginning before we got off course and let's look at this as our blueprint. This is what they were about and this is what we are to be about. And so this is church 
101. And Lord help us, I hope it's Faith Bible Church 101. Or we need to repent. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So, what are we as a church supposed to be about? What were they about? Here's what they were about. Devoting themselves. That means, more literally, steadfastly continuing or to attach oneself to, to cling to. And it's this imperfect, ongoing verb. So what is it that they're steadfastly continuing in, that they're clinging to and they will not let go? Two things. The apostles' teaching and a fellowship. And if you want to know what apostles' teaching is, look at what Peter just did. You see what he did? Rich interaction with the Old Testament scriptures and how you can't mistake it. It's pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And you look at how all of the apostles taught. They did it this way. They would give the history and prophecies of Israel and show how, like with laser beam focus, how they're all pointing at Jesus is the Messiah. They're not steadfastly devoted to Bible trivia. Yes, we preach and teach the whole counsel of the word of God. And with a laser beam focus, not, not that we create it, but that we see and unveil and, and with the Lord's help, reveal. That's still not good enough. That we get out of the way and let him reveal through all of scripture how the whole thing is written with a laser beam focus on Jesus and revealing him as the better man, the better king that we've always been waiting for, the Messiah who we've been waiting for. This is the apostles' teaching. Christ-exalting preaching through the words of the word. This is what they were devoted to. And... What, were they, what else were they devoted to? Fellowship. This is koinonia. This is literally a sharing or communion, but this is close relationship. This is friendship. So if I wanted to mess with you, I'd make you look to your left and to your right and say, this is your, these are your friends. These are, this is your family. This is who you are to cling to even when they don't want you to. That we steadfastly continue in this fellowship of believers. And then he defines for us what this fellowship looks like because it says to the teaching and fellowship, comma, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And because it doesn't have another... Uh, Conjunction and article, like if it said 
to the teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, we would see that these are four separate things. But because of the way it's written in Greek, we know that the breaking of bread and prayers are describing this fellowship. So what does the fellowship look like? What is your friendship and connection with the people here supposed to look like? Well, you're gonna break bread together, which, which can mean the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the juice in remembrance of Jesus, or it could mean eating a regular old meal. And it most likely means both. So what does your regular fellowship look like with the people in this room? It probably looks like a, a normal friend. Like you're in each other's homes and out and about doing normal friend stuff. And... Maybe you take communion together. I don't think I've ever done that, but uh, there's, and the prayers. So yes, praying, but the fact that it's the prayers, there's sort of a structure to this. So I'm just saying that your fellowship, it looks like their fellowship included normal everyday life and spiritual everyday life. Perhaps somewhat structured towards a life of worshiping the Lord and helping each other intentionally obey him together. We are to be steadfastly devoted and clinging to one another as friends who just do normal life and Jesus stuff that overlap and are inseparably linked. That's, you know what you call that? You call that a real life relationship. This is real life discipleship. You might go fishing, and then you might go fishing. The evangelism kind and the swimmy kind. The normal and the spiritual. This is fellowship. It seems that Jesus expected them and he expects us to be obsessed with him and with each other, to be clinging to, I'm not gonna settle for just putting in my 15 minutes in the word. I'm gonna see Jesus. I'm gonna look for, I'm gonna cling to the word and seeing Jesus through it all. And I'm going to relentlessly pursue relationship with you, with us. This means sacrifices may have to be made. We have to think about how we spend our time, what our schedules look like. It might mean, teenager, that you can't play every sport because, and parents, it might mean you don't sign up your child for every sport because it might mean that you can have some weeknights open to have someone into your living room, or dining room, 
to share a meal, this just normal, intimate relationship thing, or be in someone else's living room. It might mean that I don't get to decompress with TV every night of the week. And I'm saying that, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm saying that to me. I, uh, we might need to make some choices and sacrifices to be in line with clinging to the apostles' teaching and to real life relationships. And what comes next is a pretty good litmus test as to if we are doing the first two. I'm saying if we do the first two, this might flow out of that. If we're clinging to the apostles' teaching and to these real life relationships, this might come out of that. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Specifically right there, and awe came upon every soul. The word there is phobos, which we get phobia. So yes, it's fear. Fear came on them all. Or you could soften it and say reverential awe. But it's this idea that if we regularly see Jesus for who he really is in the scriptures, are we not just gonna fall on our face and humble ourselves and say, you really are the Messiah. You really are worthy of so much more surrender than I've given you to this point. And I fear you. A reverential awe for who he really is as when we see him as highly exalted king, it might create in us a reverential awe. and compel us to submit and surrender more all the time. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Perhaps they were in awe of from seeing Christ for who he is through the teaching and perhaps from these signs and wonders And they were being done through the apostles. Okay, so we're a Bible church. What do I do with signs and wonders? Do I just move on? Um, I, this used to be very clear in black and white to me. And then I kept reading my Bible. And I started holding my my wineskins, my previously held beliefs that I just don't even think about anymore. I'm like, well, I know that's how it always is because that's what somebody told me one time. And I used to take those and if the scripture didn't line up with that, I would bend or make that submit to what I already knew to be true. And I have started to do the opposite. Um, 
And so I, there are people in this church who believe different things about signs and wonders. And I, we are okay with that. We are okay with agreeing on who Jesus is and that we are saved by grace through faith alone and that Christ is a king worthy of our surrender. And I'm gonna be careful not to put God in a box. I'm gonna keep reading the scriptures and keep submitting to the Lord through them as I see him exalted through the scriptures. So, For these apostles, they, they didn't create these signs and wonders. The verb at, at the beginning of this verse, that all came upon them, it's the same verb for the signs and wonders came on the apostles through the apostles. They were passive in this. The Lord is the one who did it. So one thing I know about the apostles, they must have been open to letting the Lord do whatever he wanted to do through them. So my cautious exhortation on this part is that we be open to letting the Lord do whatever he wants. And of course, he's gonna be consistent with who he is as he's revealed himself through all of the scriptures. And of course, we're gonna submit to him and submit to the word but I just don't want to be like Nazareth where, do you know why Jesus did not do many miracles in that town? Because of their lack of faith, their unbelief. I want to be open to as much of the Lord and his spirit revealing to us as he wants to send. And I don't want to be the one putting the kink in the hose. So let's let the Lord do all that he wants to do and not a single bit more. Verse 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. So Here's a qualifying word of, of who these people are. They're the ones who believed. So what does it take to be a member in this early church? You're a believer who got baptized and as an expression of that belief. All who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So, these were people who believed and because of that, the implications of that, if I believe and you believe, then all my stuff is your stuff and vice versa. And we could quickly get off into the weeds here and go, yeah, but that was a unique season and that was, he was, 
endorsing communal living for that particular, and it's different now. And okay, so I don't want to get into the specific application. I just want to say that if somebody in here needs something, we better just ask the Lord. Lord, they need a this and I have it. Do you want me to give that? Or I don't have it, but I have some stuff I can sell to give it. Lord, do you want me? Uh, we better at least ask the Lord and again be open to mine being yours and yours being mine. That we're a body, He's our head. And how will I even know what you need? I will know what you need if we're doing community like it says in verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So day by day, this means not just Sunday and Wednesday. And in the temple, that, that for us would be at whenever there's something organized in the building, but it's not only that, is it? It says, and they're breaking bread in their homes. So again, breaking bread is the doing normal stuff and the spiritual stuff in each other's homes day by day. This is real life relationship. That we're not just seeing each other on Sunday and Wednesday. That we are clinging to one another steadfastly devoted to one another. That we're gonna know what each other's living rooms look like. And don't worry about if you're not a good cook because look at what it says next. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. We're gonna do that. <laughs> that word generous there could just mean simple, with simple hearts. There's not a lot of layers of analysis or worrying. It's just like, the Lord provided food. We're grateful. And we're not here. We don't do fellowship for the physical satisfaction of it. It's not about the food, right? Church is not a one day a week club. It's who you are. We belong to each other. And so, this is them. They were in each other's homes and they were belonging to each other. So, what was the atmosphere around this people? Did they have sort of a spiritual BO to the world around them? Uh, look at verse 47. They were praising God, having favor with all the people. All the people. Not just the believers, but all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, notice the context. They're, they're praising God, not just because they're grateful for the food, but this is one expression of their overall attitude, their demeanor, their orientation of praise. Day in and day out, day by day, they're praising God. And notice the context here. He just got done saying in each other's homes, this is not four songs before the sermon. 
It's not what the praising is. This is a lifestyle of praise and worship that praise is on our lips as we talk to each other, as well as when we sing and pray. They're, they're praising God. And what's the result? Favor with all that, that we are a people who are winsome, pleasant, salty. Nobody likes low sodium chips. They like the salty ones and we're to be salty if we... And what's the result? What does God do? He adds to their number day by day those who are being saved. By the way, being saved, these are not church transplants, come from other churches because uh, we're doing things the, just the way they like them. Uh, this is gospel growth. This is new converts. And I'm not saying there's anything there's not anything wrong with church transplants. I'm just saying if we're growing with a bunch of believers coming from other places, but uh, there's no new believers, we're just not a, quite doing what the blueprint shows. Maybe, maybe we're not being the people God has commanded us has modeled for us through them to be. Maybe we're not clinging to the apostles' teaching and to each other in such a way that people go, look at the love. I can't stay away from these people. I've got to have more. This is, that's my story, by the way. I had these friends that I started hanging out with and they had so much fun and joy with zero substance abuse, and I'd never seen it. I didn't know what they had. I just knew I wanted it. They, all the, the, the jocks and the ropers and the skaters and the band nerds, and they were all just loved each other. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew them by their love for one another. And he, when we... Love, when we're obsessed with him and obsessed with each other in this way, the world can't get enough. Our neighbors, our, our classmates, our roommates, they, God gives favor and adds to their number, adds to our number. And I just want you to notice what is their evangelism program? What is their script or flow chart that they memorize or their evangelism event that they show up to and man the table. Uh, it's not there. What do they do to bring about this massive growth? They just, they just love Jesus. They love each other. And it, this is fascinating to me. Because he's given them the commission, ends of the earth. And he just told them, witnesses, ends of the earth. Now here's my spirit. And then we see how they actually operated and how he was adding to their number. And it seems that there is a priority 
for their witness to be an overflow, not just some hollow task that they begrudgingly do as their community service and check it off the list. You see what I mean? Like he could just say, bring your punch card, come to church, do your thing, live your life most of the time however you want, but at least once a month, go do that evangelism thing or knock on a few doors or something. Uh, He seems to want us to be a reflection of him. That he is in an eternal community of love within himself that then overflows to all of us. And it seems he wants us to be a reflection of that, that it's love that overflows the banks of our circles and our bubbles to everyone around us. Seems a little counterintuitive for us to give all of our love and all of our stuff to believers and unbelievers will be added to you. But this means, for one thing, this is where it gets a little personal for me, this, this means we can't be rude to believers for the sake of outreach, for the sake of evangelism. And this is just a... confession, I guess, that that sometimes I have an abundance of compassion and patience for an unbeliever uh, and want to love, love, love. And then sometimes for a believer who's been a believer for 10 years or more, I think, you should know better. I don't want to love you. I want to go love these people who don't know any better. And I'm wrong. It's, that's just me saying, who is it easier for me to love? And I don't think it was very easy for him to love me. So, what does this look like at Faith Bible Church? Uh, there's so many things that we don't do. <laughs> and uh, what we try to focus on is that we strive to steadfastly continue in teaching and fellowship. That's the Christ-exalting preaching and to real-life relationships that are made up of the, the spiritual and the normal life, day by day. And the rest of these in the verses 42 through 47, the rest of them flow out of those two of the teaching and the fellowship. Uh, Side note on the teaching. We're not asking you to be devoted to Dan's teaching or my teaching or any of the elders' teaching. We're asking you to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Where do you get that? Well, just right here. So be devoted. We want you to be, we want you to cling to the word. You don't have to wait for Sunday or Wednesday for that. Be devoted. Be devoted, be steadfastly continuing in the word and seeing Jesus through it all. And what's gonna flow out of that is seeing Jesus for who he really is, 
submitting to him and giving him freedom to do what he wants and being in awe of him, having reverential awe of who he is. And what flows out of us being devoted to each other in real relationships is we're gonna worship together. We're gonna live real life with each other in each other's homes. And that means we're gonna know each other's needs and respond with um, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. I guess I don't need to respond with what's yours is mine. I need to respond with what's mine is yours. How, like, but uh, some of you, that is your problem. That when people try to give to you, you go, no, 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 no. And you need to let them obey what the Lord's telling them. And when we are enjoying and praising the Lord in real community, what the world will see is love and God will give favor and God will add. And I wanna make it just a little more practical here. And I've got three for you here and then we'll be done. You remember how they became members there? They saw Jesus as both Lord and Christ. And you maybe haven't made that decision yet. Maybe you have vague notions of who Jesus is or you've gone to church for a while or maybe this is your first time. But Jesus is the Christ and he is Lord. That means he's God. He is both Lord and Christ. That means he is the Messiah and he is the king over it all. Worthy of your surrender. So you can repent right now. and come to Jesus and find life. Receive his spirit by yielding to him. And it's interesting for them, I feel like if you believed and you're in the town of Corinth, you're part of the church at Corinth, okay? Things are a little bit different today. Things are complicated. So then we have membership processes. And so, uh, man, this feels weird. I hate doing announcements, but I want to show you this slide that uh, if you are a believer and you want to know more about what it means to be a member at Faith Bible Church, oh yeah, there's that. If you want to get baptized, we're doing that. You can let us know you want to get baptized on the 17th. If you... Uh, haven't given your life to Jesus, do it. And then you can show it through baptism. If you are a believer and you haven't been baptized, come talk to us and we'll get you signed up. There's already, uh, water's already gonna be warm because people have signed up. So uh, y'all come talk to us more.